Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Satan comes with an agenda, and that is to ruin God's good creation. On today's program, we'll see how our separation from God was Satan's plan from the very beginning and how he used temptation and deceit to achieve it. Part two of Cheryl's message titled, The Big Lie. That consequence of death was something that God did not want for mankind. God only wanted good for all creation, for mankind. But it's hard to know how good you have it when your only experience has been good. Isn't that true? It's hard to know how good you have it when that's all you've known is good. It's hard to believe that such a thing as, again, frozen enchiladas exist. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil provided the opportunity, though, for Adam and Eve to trust God, to obey his word, even when they didn't understand, hadn't experienced the consequences It was an opportunity to say, I don't need to know what death is. I don't need to experience the consequences. I don't need to know what will happen to trust God right now. I don't need it. I can obey God and I can trust God and I can enjoy what he has given me. And I can believe that God has chosen the best for me. But here's where the serpent enters the story. He comes in with an agenda, and his agenda is to ruin the good that God has established on the earth and with men. He wants to ruin the good. He wants to spoil the good. Kind of like Maleficent when she came to Sleeping Beauty's dedication party. Maybe you know this story. It's a great movie. Uh, that movie was actually written as an allegory of uh, Christianity. It's If you watch it again with that thought, and uh, you'll see so much. But Maleficent only came to the palace to ruin the party. That was the only reason she came, to put a curse on the child, to bring in death where there was life and there was joy. And that's what Satan did. He had an agenda. He came to ruin the good and to spoil God's good creation. Satan had a strategy. The serpent began by drawing Eve's attention to the one prohibition. In fact, when he says to her, did God really say that you couldn't eat of all the trees? Now, Eve has to remember, she's like, no, kind of. God said we could eat of all the trees, but one. So Eve is thinking about all the trees she can eat. But Satan says, what about the one? What about the one? 
He's drawing our attention away from all the freedoms, away from all the good, to the one prohibition. Rather than a consideration of all the trees that she had free access to, the serpent centers her attention on that which she has been told not to eat of. Now, suddenly, Eve is looking at, considering, and close by something that she had never considered, looked at, or been close to before. Never before. And suddenly, she's looking at it. Perhaps she never even saw herself entertaining such a thought. Like, why would I even go there? Why would I even think about that? That's so not a part of my existence. But suddenly, here it is. The serpent's first line of attack, as you know, is God's word, the command. Did God indeed say, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? In this way, he attempts to make God's God's generosity look churlish, to look like God is just selfish. God is a killjoy. How unfair of God to give you a prohibition. How unfair, how wrong of God to say you shouldn't do this. How wrong, how wrong. Are you sure you got that word right? I mean, would God really withhold that from you? Did you misread? Did you misunderstand? Did you misinterpret? Is there another way to see that scripture? Is there another way to read it like in light of our current culture? to interpret it? Having moved Eve away from the surety of God's word, he then attacks the truth of God's word. God said, in the day you eat it, you will surely die. The serpent directly contradicts this word, you will not die. Remember at this point, death had not been defined or described. Eve only knew that this was not a good thing. Now medically, Death is defined as when a person's spirit leaves their body. But there's another definition to death, and it's a spiritual death that results in the medical definition or the physical death. But spiritually, death happens when a person's spirit is separated from God. That's when death begins. So the serpent then attacks the character of God As we talked about last week, creation itself speaks of God's personality. The garden spoke of God's beauty, of God's order, of God's creative powers, of his ingenuity and complexity, his generosity, his kindness, his care. But the serpent says, God knows that in the day you eat of it, this forbidden fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Years ago, I was in Virginia and I was talking about this very story. And as I'm about to say what Satan said, and I was at that point where, you know, Eve said, God said in the day that we eat it, we will surely die. And all of a sudden, all the electricity went out. There was a terrible storm outside. We were plunged in darkness. And so into the darkness, I spoke because the speaker was still on. You will not die. And the women screamed. It was such a moment. I felt that that was one of the most powerful messages I ever delivered. 
I've never had anyone scream since or before. It was like epic. But what Satan is saying to Eve is this. Now, he's not saying it directly. It's indirectly. It's implied. And this is what he's saying. God doesn't want you to be fulfilled. God doesn't want you to have fun. God doesn't have your best interest at heart. God wants his arbitrary, hardline, ridiculous, culturally outdated laws kept. That's what the enemy was implying. In other words, God is a cold-hearted moralist like the KGB or the Gestapo. This is what God is like, insisting on outdated rules when when there's a whole world meant that will fulfill you in sin. Eve then begins to look at the tree like she's never looked at it before. Now, she looks at it as a possibility, an alternative to her existence. As she looks at it, it looks like the other trees. I mean, really, what's so different between this tree and the other trees? This tree is beautiful. The other trees are beautiful. This tree is good for fruit. The other trees are good for fruit. But this tree is able to improve her life. This is the lie. This tree will make me better. This tree will make me wise. And then there's a deliberation in what Eve did next. The journey is not recorded, but we know what it must have been like because Eve had to walk to the tree. She had to look at the fruit and choose one of those fruits. And she had to reach in between the leaves and she had to grasp that fruit. She had to hold it. She had to clutch it. And then she had to pull it from the anchor of the branch it was on. She had to bring the fruit close to her mouth. She had to open her mouth. Don't you feel like going, no, no. She had to open her mouth and she had to bring the fruit in. And then she had to bring her jaw down and sink its flesh into that fruit and separate a piece of that fruit from the whole. And then she had to chew it and she had to swallow it. And then we know she turns to Adam and says, here, you take a bite. The immediate sensation was the cold chill of death. You know, they say in each one of our cells is something called the telomorus. The telomorus is like you have a tinker tape inside of you. And they believe that this tinker tape inside of your cell can actually say how long you're going to live without disease or a heart attack, this telomorus. And it's believed that at one point, the telomorus could go on and on. This is even what scientists say. They're trying to figure out what happened to the telomorus in the cell so that men don't live forever. There's millions of dollars being poured into the study of the telomorus inside the cell of mankind to figure out if mankind can extend his life. At that point, the telomorus begin to shrink. 
it began to get shorter and shorter and shorter. Their eyes were open, yes, but they felt exposed and naked. What their eyes were open to was their own nakedness, their own vulnerability. They tried to cover themselves with fig trees. Oh, no, fig leaves. That would be interesting. They were afraid. When they heard the sound of God in the garden, they hid. When God called out to them, they answered from the trees, hiding. God gave them in verse 9 and 11 of chapter 3, the opportunity for confession. Where are you? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to? Here's an opportunity to come forward and to confess, to say what happened. But you know the story. Adam blamed God for giving him the woman who made him eat. Some things have not changed. Eve, on the other hand, openly confessed. She was deceived by the serpent. That was true. She ate another true statement. God then pronounces a curse on the serpent. He will be more humiliated than all of creation, more than the cattle of the field. Satan did not lose his legs any more than the snake lost his legs. But crawling on your belly was something that when a king was humiliated, they would make the kings, uh, defeated kings, crawl on their uh, bellies. It was a sign of defeat and subservient to everything else. It was deeply, deeply um, humiliating. And so what God is saying, you will be for what you've done absolutely humiliated. I will make you less than the least of my creations. And then he says that one day, the seed of woman, which will be born, will crush the serpent's head, but the serpent will mortally wound the seed in the heel. The curse of death will affect the woman. She will have multiple conceptions and multiplied sorrows. This is the consequence or the curse of sin. This is what came in. This is what death does. This is the consequence of death. She will have multiple conceptions. That will be necessary. Multiple conceptions to bring forth life. Because bringing life into the climate of death will result in pain because every time she's pregnant, she will be working against death. Her desire will be toward her husband and her husband will now have a dominant place. For the man, the curse will include trying to cultivate life from cursed ground. Before he could eat freely and every fruit was freely supplied to him. All he had to do was go and harvest, but now he's going to have to till the cursed ground. He's going to have to compete with weeds and thorns and thistles for life. And then it will all end in dust. His body will return to the ground it was formed from. Adam and Eve are then removed from the garden, lest they eat of the tree of life and remain in this wretched condition of death and decay without any release. 
Cherubim then guard the eastern entrance to the garden, and a flaming sword bars the way back in. From there, the consequences of sin continue to take their toll on humanity. In chapter 4, we read that Eve gives birth to her first son, Cain. I started to call him Cable, just combining the two. You heard it. I can't deny it. It happened. Eve has another son, Abel, and then she gives birth to many more children. God calls these two brothers to offer sacrifice. Of all of Adam and Eve's sons, these two are called. It's widely held by theologians and commentators that God continued to speak to mankind from Eden, that Adam and Eve were not too far from Eden, that they could see the cherubim and the flaming sword and that they knew God was inside the garden and they were separated, but they could still speak to him. They could still talk to him. They could hear him, but they could not see him. They could approach the entrance, but they couldn't enter. Cain and Abel bring their offerings. Abel offers the best of the sheep he is rearing. Cain offers some of the crops he has been able to till from the cursed ground. We read that God accepts Abel's offering. And Cain is so angry. You know why Cain's angry? Cain is angry because he doesn't want to change his ways. He wants to offer God the produce from the ground. That's what he wants to offer. He doesn't want to change his sacrifice. He doesn't want to give God what God wants. He wants to give God what is convenient what he's best at, but not what God wants. He doesn't want to change his ways. He doesn't want to change his sacrifice. And he doesn't want to change his priorities to please God. And rather than change, he decides to murder Abel, thinking that if he gets rid of Abel, God will have to accept his sacrifice. God sees Cain's countenance, He knows what Cain is thinking, and he warns Cain. Cain has no regard for the word of God or the warning. God says to him in verse 7 of chapter 4, If you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, if you offer me what I want, you'll be accepted. But if you do not do well, if you choose your own way, your own self-determination. Sin is lying at the door. Sin is the motivation. And, And that word lying at the door, it means crouching. It's like a lion crouching outside. And its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Sin wants to take the advantage. Sin wants to rule. Cain does not refuse the influence and life sin. Somehow he thinks that life will be better without the godly Abel. Just like Eve, what what did they say? The apple doesn't fall, fall far from the tree. I wonder if it's because of this. Just like Eve thought her life would be better with the forbidden fruit. In the same manner, Cain thinks his life will be better without the godly Abel. And so he calls his brother out to a field 
and he kills him. God calls to Cain, where's your brother? He's giving Cain the opportunity to repent, just like he gave Adam and Eve the chance for confession and repentance. But Cain lies and acts deceitfully as if God doesn't know, as if God didn't see. And God says, don't you know that his blood is crying out to me? What is the blood of Cain crying out? Vengeance, vengeance. Cain is given a punishment by God. God announces that he'll be estranged, that he'll no longer be able to till the ground. It will no longer yield for him. Cain says, don't do this to me. Because Cain feels sorry for himself. I think he's got to be such a narcissist. His punishment just seems too much. He just killed his brother. And he's like, but I shouldn't be punished for that. I mean, what if someone does to me what I just did to my brother? Not the truth. I, what if someone tries to murder me? I murdered my brother, but what if someone tries to murder me? It's not fair. You've got to protect me. And God has mercy on Cain. But Cain moves eastward. In other words, he's moving further away from Eden, further away from the presence of the Lord. And although his descendants have many advancements, instruments, and iron, all of this is done, is done away from the presence of the Lord. They build a city. They make a name for themselves. But there is exploitation. Lamech, his grandson, takes two wives. He murders a young man. And then he brags about it to his wife and says, if Cain was avenged by God, man, I'm going to get even greater vengeance. 70 times seven. What he's saying is, I'll kill anybody who comes after me. So far, what have we learned about sin? We've seen it's powerful because it's enticing, it's tempting, it's captivating. We've learned that it's deceptive because it appears harmless. Remember, it looked like the other trees. It promises fulfillment, open eyes, and sophistication. The opportunity to choose for yourself what is good and what is evil. In other words, why should I accept the moral standards of God? Why shouldn't I be able to choose for myself what is good and what is bad? What is right for me and what's not right for me? Why should God be the person that tells me that? We've learned that it's beautiful to look at. It's not ugly. It's not repulsive. We expect sin to be like, I'm sin. But sin is like, hi, I'm sin. I look like Fabio. I'm sin. It's entertaining. It's entertaining. It, it's, it draws your eyes to it. It's tasty. The first bite is delicious but it has disastrous results. It brings death. My dad used to say the problem with sin is that the results are often slow acting. And those of us who are parents, we tell our kids, sin is terrible. 
But the kids don't know, but the parents do because the parents have seen the result of sin. And we're talking about the end of sin, the effect, the place it leads you. We're not talking about the seductive, beautiful part. If sin was ugly and tasted terrible, nobody would fall into it. Temptation is something every person is familiar with. It is the enticement to do something that violates what we know to be right, good, or in the best interest of ourselves and others. Sometimes we resist, yet sometimes we succumb. The consequences, more often than not, prove harmful. Understanding the source of temptation, its false promises, and its appeal to our nature is part and parcel of learning to resist it. The more we know the character and Word of God, the easier it is to stand in truth and be victorious over Satan and his deceptions. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at the effects of sin as we continue our series, Our Great Creator, in the book of Genesis with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.